Let's read the Word of God together in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Proverbs, chapter 30. We're going to read the first 17 verses of this chapter. We read this in connection with the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer concerning our daily bread. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithael, even unto Ithael and Ukal, Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee, and thou be found guilty. There is a generation that curseth their father, and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, Give! Give! There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not it is enough, the grave and the barren womb the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. We we read the word of God that far. Let's consider Lord's Day 50 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Which is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. That is, be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body, that we may thereby acknowledge thee to be the only fountain of all good, and that neither our care nor industry nor even thy gifts can profit us without thy blessing. And therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in thee. In the first three petitions of the model prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been taught to pray for the most important and necessary things in this life. 
the hallowing of the name of our Father in heaven, the accomplishment of his will on earth as it is in heaven, and the coming of his kingdom in this world and in the world to come. Those first three petitions we saw are the most important and the most necessary for us to make, and they direct our attention properly upward to the Lord first as our first priority in life, as he who is and ought to be most important to us and whom we must seek and love with all our heart and soul and mind and strength which is also the first commandment of his law. We now begin this morning to look at the last three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And here, our Lord Jesus directs us to pray to our Heavenly Father for important and necessary things, but things that pertain to us more specifically and directly. Our daily bread the forgiveness of our sins, and strength to resist temptations and to be delivered from evil. The first of these last petitions pertains to our bodies. The Heidelberg Catechism indicates that too. When it explains the petition, be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body If you remember earlier in the Catechism, we were taught that we are to pray for all things necessary for soul and body. And now the Catechism teaches us which of the petitions has to do with our body. This is the one. It has to do with the things necessary for the body. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you make that petition? Do you make that petition every day? Do you make that petition fervently, urgently, out of a real, keen, spiritual sense of need and dependence upon God? It's important that we hear the exposition of this petition on a regular basis, that through the preaching of God's word this morning, we might grow in our faith, because only in the way of growing in faith, faith that recognizes our dependence on God, that recognizes our need for God in all things, even for our bodies, that we are going to truly make this petition from the heart on a day-to-day basis. May God use the preaching of this scripture this morning in the Catechism to orient our desires properly around this petition. Our desires with regard to earthly life must be oriented around this petition. And may he use his word also that we might be led again to acknowledge properly our need, our need for God as the only fountain of all good. Praying for our daily bread. Let's notice first, this is praying for sufficient food. Secondly, praying for one day. And thirdly, praying not for riches. The fourth petition is, give us this day our daily bread, according to our Lord Jesus Christ in the model prayer. The scripture that we read this morning, Proverbs chapter 30, captures that petition in verse 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. And the Heidelberg Catechism explains this petition to mean that we are to pray, Be pleased, O God, to provide us with all things necessary for the body, that we may thereby acknowledge Thee as the fountain of all 
good. Do you make those petitions? Do I make this petition fervently and frequently? Before we look at the meaning of the petition itself, let's notice that this petition arises out of a heart of faith that recognizes that feels keenly in a spiritual way how much I need God. The heart that does not have such faith, the heart that does not feel any need for God, might utter the words of the fourth petition, but that heart is not really making the fourth petition. Only the heart that recognizes, the heart that has faith to recognize that I am weak and poor and needy, and only my Father in heaven can provide me with what I need, is the heart that really makes this petition. Now, by nature, none of us has that faith in our hearts. None of us recognizes and acknowledges our need by nature. We are proud. By nature, we are proud, we are boastful, we are confident in ourselves, we are sufficient in ourselves. We think that our care, our industry, our strength, our skill, our money, our job, by all of these things that we possess, we can accomplish, we can obtain what we need. And we don't need God to do it for us. I say that's what we are by nature. Not just you, but me and all men. That's the way we are by nature. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were perfect. They had a perfect understanding of who they were in relation to God, that they were mere creatures made of the dust, utterly dependent upon him. Utterly in need of God to sustain them and supply them with their needs from moment to moment. But after the fall, man is proud. Man is arrogant. Man thinks that he is sufficient in himself to accomplish for himself and by himself all the things that he needs and much more besides. By nature, we are prone to trust in idols. We are prone to lean upon creatures We're prone to look to our money, to look to our bank accounts and our savings and our retirement funds and our insurance policies, to look to our daily and weekly income, our wages and salary, to look at the strength of our house and the the sturdiness of our property and our investments, and to lean upon those things and to think that we have all that we need of ourselves and through ourselves. And we have no need for God. That's our sin. That's our pride and our unbelief. And when our efforts seem to prosper, when we're living our lives, when we're able to get a college education, when we're able to get a good job or a good career, and the income is flowing regularly, week by week, and we always have sufficient to pay our bills, to keep the lights on, to keep the water running, to put food on our tables, to pay our medical bills, to put gas in our vehicles, to pay our mortgage, and the money just keeps flowing, and life is good, and we are prosperous, then it seems to confirm our wicked, boastful belief by nature that we are sufficient in ourselves, that we don't need God. It seems to confirm that, doesn't it? It seems to confirm in our thinking that all we need to do is work hard and we will get all that we need and all that we want. We can be prosperous. We can be wealthy. We can be safe and secure and have all that we need and all that our hearts desire. But when our efforts start to fail... When we are working hard, but we lose our job, when we receive a pay cut, when our business endeavors don't work out, when we suffer loss, 
when the economy takes a dip, when we become sick, bodily sick, mentally sick, sick so that we're not able to function at the capacity that we once could, when sickness suddenly takes hold of our bodies and we're confined to the bed in the home or we're confined to the hospital bed, God uses that to teach us. You need me. You are not sufficient in yourself to provide for yourself all that you need. You are weak. You are small. You need me. You cannot live without me. God teaches us that. And thank God that he does. That's why we as Christians can be truly thankful for infirmities, for sickness, whether it's physical or mental or emotional sickness. Because when we are weak, then we are truly strong. When we are weak, then God causes us to see the truth of the matter. We need him. We need him. We need him every moment, every hour, every day. We depend upon him for all things necessary for the body. The proverb, the one who wrote this proverb, speaks of his weakness and his foolishness by nature. Verse 2, Surely I am more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy who hath ascended up into heaven or descended, who hath gathered the wind in his fists, who hath bound the waters in a garment, who hath established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? It is the Lord, the Lord. I'm foolish when I think that I'm sufficient in myself to obtain what I need for the body. I'm not. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. The Proverbs say in another place, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. Psalm 37 says, Trust in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Rest in him. In him. And our Lord Jesus teaches us, take no thought for the morrow. What you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall put on. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. But in the morning... At noon and at night, the psalm tells us, pray. In the morning when you get up, pray. At noontime, pray. At night, pray. It might be a helpful mental exercise for us when we get up in the morning, we get out of bed, before we put a single piece of food in our mouth, That we stop for a moment and we think about this. I have nothing. Right now, right here, at this moment, I have nothing. Oh, I know. The pantry is full of food. The refrigerator is stocked. The deep freezer is overflowing. But when you get up in the morning... You say to yourself, I have nothing. And then you get on your knees and you say, Lord, give me today my daily bread. The proverb teaches us to pray, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with food convenient for me. Verse 8. 
We may pray that God not give us poverty. In fact, the Bible teaches us to pray that. When our Lord teaches us to pray for our daily bread, he's teaching us to pray, give me not poverty. Poverty means that you have literally nothing or almost nothing. Poverty is the man who has nothing but a few rags on his back, who has no house, who has no good clothes, who has not sufficient food day by day, who pushes the grocery cart down the road full of junk and goes around begging people to give him something. That's poverty. Poverty is the man sitting by the beautiful gate of the temple when Peter and John went up at the hour of prayer, holding out his hand, begging, begging for something, something. Poverty is blind Bartimaeus standing by the road into Jericho because of his blindness, not able to work, not able to have an income, begging for something. That's poverty. Give me not poverty, Lord. Poverty includes the man who does have a job, who does have a house, but his house is so weak and so rickety that any storm knocks it over. Who's always struggling to survive, who with his wife and children is always hungry, always malnourished, always sick, and unable to pay the medical bills to get truly healthy and to get truly well-nourished. That's poverty. And poverty is the situation of Millions and millions of people in the world today. Some of them Christians, some of them not. The scriptures teach us to pray. Give me not poverty, Lord. Lest in my poverty I be tempted to steal. The temptation to steal is the temptation of the poor man. It's the temptation of the greedy man as well. But it's also the temptation of the poor man, the poor, who is struggling to survive, is the man who's tempted to steal from his neighbor just to eat. Give me not poverty, Lord, lest I be tempted to steal or to blaspheme. Because the poor man might look around himself and see others who have plenty to eat and to drink and be bitter and envious of them. And be tempted to blaspheme God because he gave much to them and little to me. Lord, give me not poverty. But feed me with food convenient for me. When we recognize that we need God, then we will pray for those needs. The needs. Provide us with all things necessary for the body. What are those things necessary for the body? First and foremost, a piece of bread. Daily bread. Grains crushed into flour and baked into a usable fashion that I can eat to receive a little bit of energy so I can function today. Bread. We need that. Water. Clothing. We need clothes. Because we can't walk around without clothing. We'll die from the cold, from the freezing, or we'll, we'll die from the heat. We need a house to be protected from the snow and the ice and the wind and the rain and the thieves. Sometimes we need medicine to address our sickness. Sometimes we need to go to the doctor. Sometimes we need surgery so that we can continue living. There are certain things that we need. We probably need a vehicle that works, that can bring us to our job, that can bring us to church and back home again. There are certain things that we need, and those are the things we are praying for. Lord, give me these things that I need 
And when we understand that we have nothing and that we need God to provide us with what we need, then we will pray. As the Catechism says, we will withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in God. We will withdraw our trust from our job, from our boss, from our income, from our health. We withdraw our trust from ourselves, our skills, our education, our experience, our care, our industry, our innovativeness. And we will place our trust in God to supply us with these necessary things. When we come to realize, by faith, how utterly destitute we are and how much we need God, regardless of whether we are poor or rich, when we come to realize that, what we are realizing is that we need God to sustain our life. We're realizing that at this very moment, God could withdraw his hand from under me, and I die. And therefore, I need him to sustain me. And that realization is also the realization of eternity. Because when I die, I plunge into eternity. And therefore, when we grow in our faith, realizing how much we need God just to live today, we're also growing in our faith and our realization how much we need God for eternal life. We're realizing, I cannot do anything to obtain it. I need God to give it to me. I need Christ. Remember when the Lord Jesus fed 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and fish? And then the people followed him. And Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He knew that because he had fed them with physical earthly bread, they had eaten it and they, were, they had been hungry, they had eaten, they were full. And he did that by an astounding miracle. Now they were following him. And he knew their hearts. They wanted more of that bread, that earthly bread. And that's why they followed him. They wanted to make him their king. Because if they had a king who was able to make physical bread, then they would never hunger again. And they would never thirst again on this earth. But they would have riches and prosperity and power. And so Jesus said to them in John chapter 6, Verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Don't labor for earthly bread. Labor after the heavenly and spiritual bread. Don't set your affection upon earthly food and drink. As much as we need that, but set your affection upon Christ. Jesus said, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. I am the bread of life. You know, there are many, many people in the world who have their daily bread and they don't even pray for it. They don't pray for it, but they have it. They eat and eat and eat not only bread, but meat and all the delicacies that the heart could desire. They eat and eat and eat and they never pray for it. Does that mean we don't have to pray for our daily bread? since obviously they don't pray for it, but they have it, then we need to remember, though they have their daily bread without praying for it, they do not have the heavenly bread, Jesus Christ. And therefore, that daily bread that they feast upon day after day is a curse unto them. 
The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. On the other side, there are many, many people in the world, thousands and thousands, maybe millions, who live in daily poverty and struggle daily to have their daily bread, and they're praying for it urgently and earnestly, day after day after day after day, and they barely have it. But they have the heavenly bread, Christ Jesus. They know the Lord. They have Christ in their hearts, who was crucified for them and risen from the dead. And having Christ by faith, they're full and they're blessed. If you don't believe me, read Psalm 37. A little that the righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. In the fourth petition, our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us furthermore to pray for our daily bread. And now I focus on the word daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't teach us to pray, give us this week, our weekly supply, or give us this month, our monthly supply, or give us this year, our yearly supply, so that we can have the peace of mind that it's all going to be there all week long, all month long, and all year long. But he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Do you listen to the voices around us in the culture today? As our culture becomes less and less Christian, we hear louder and louder voices coming from the unbelieving, secular, supposedly scientifically enlightened world. But those voices are voices of terror and worry about the future because they don't walk by faith day by day. And what they observe around them with the eyes in their eye sockets is a growing world population. They observe that in the past century, the world population continues to grow exponentially, larger and larger, so that there are now over 8 billion people in the world. A staggering number. And it continues to grow. And they compare that to the production of food in the world, in all of the various industries, how much food is produced. And they see a looming problem. And they try to make projections by the year 2030, by the year 2050. Is there going to be enough food to feed this growing world population? And as they come to realize there isn't, they start to project doomsday situations. And they believe that there being no God in this universe to care for us, we have to do it. We have to do something. Or we're going to perish as a human race. They've removed God from the world, and in its place they've put unbelieving, godless evolutionism, which teaches that we're all just beasts, struggling to survive, including us human beings. And so in the, the natural struggle for survival, we human beings have to do something to save ourselves. It's up to us. It depends on us. There is no God up in heaven to help us or to save us. We have to do something. We have to do things or we're going to perish as a race. Have you heard those voices? 
And they look at us scornfully because we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And in their minds, how foolish that you only think about one day at a time. What about the future? What about preparing for the future? Well, continuing on that theme of poverty, and having seen that poverty up close, I can say that there are many, many Christians in the world today who really, truly, honestly don't think very much about the future. They spend precious to little time planning, preparing, thinking, worrying about the future. Now that's not to say that they have no temptations in regard to the future. They too have temptations, even though they have no money in a bank account, even though they have no retirement funds, no insurance policies, no promised government aid, they look to their children. And they look to their children expectantly, trusting that these children, they must be healthy, they must grow up, they must get a good college education because our future depends upon them and they're tempted to trust in that. Our future depends upon those children. They must succeed. very common in poor countries. What about in prosperous countries like ours? Well, I think we would all say that in our country, we spend a lot of time thinking about the future. What portion of our waking hours do we spend thinking about, planning for, preparing for, worrying about, fearing, going back to the drawing board, adjusting our portfolios, deciding whether or not to put more money into this account or that account, how to diversify our investments, and all the rest. Nothing wrong with preparing for the future. Nothing wrong with insurance, with savings, with retirement plans. Nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with it is when we are consumed with it and when we are worried about it, anxious, then we're not living out of the faith that makes this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. When we are rich, Or if you don't think you're rich, when we are rich relative to the poor in other countries, when we have that kind of financial ability, we're tempted to trust in uncertain riches. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, Almost as a concluding comment, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Paul tells Timothy to exhort the rich in that way. Riches are uncertain. They're uncertain. 
Don't trust in them. Make your plans as I make mine. Don't worry about it. Don't be consumed with it. It could all be gone. Trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy and be rich in good works. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord gives us a very instructive illustration in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. The children of Israel, redeemed from bondage in Egypt, wandering through the wilderness. What did they have? Cattle, yes, from Egypt, cattle, and other things. But when it comes to day-to-day living, they were in the desert. They couldn't plant crops. They couldn't harvest fruits and vegetables. They were utterly dependent on God. What did God do? Every single day, what did he do? He rained down bread from heaven. Every single day, they could count on it. That manna would be there on the outskirts of the camp, and they could go and take it and eat. And God rained that manna just enough for one day, and on the sixth day, enough for two days, but the Sabbath as well. He did that continually for 40 years until they came to the land of Canaan. And then the manna stopped. And he gave them that land flowing with milk and honey. Vineyards that they didn't plant. Towns that they didn't build. A free inheritance of wealth and prosperity and peace and joy. And that's a picture of our life in this world. We're in the wilderness right now. And God says, pray every day that I will give you your daily bread. I will. I'll give it to you. And after you finish your earthly pilgrimage through the wilderness, then I'll bring you into heaven. And I will give you the land that flows with heavenly milk and honey and riches that you didn't earn, that you didn't work for. I'll give it all to you for free through the blood, death, and resurrection of your Lord Jesus Christ. Give us this day our daily bread. And then that same illustration teaches us not to murmur, but to be content. It teaches us not to pray for riches. That's the final point this morning. The children of Israel showed their weakness and sinfulness in that they were not even content with that glorious, miraculous provision of manna, which tasted like honey. It was sweet, and they could prepare it in so many different ways. And they could eat it, and it was nutritious. It gave them all the nutrients that their bodies needed. And yet, they still complained. We want to go back to Egypt. We want meat. We want fish. We want melons and leeks and garlic and cucumbers. We want a a feast with all that Egypt had to offer. And whenever they murmured about that, the Lord struck them with some plague. The proverb teaches us that too. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Do you pray for that? I'm sure we all would pray, please, Lord, don't give me poverty. I don't want to be a beggar on the street. But do we also pray, don't give me riches. I don't want that. The proverb says, give me not riches. Why? Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? 
Because as we said earlier in the sermon, when we are prosperous, when all goes well, when our tables are always laden with the bounties and delicacies that all of our taste buds could desire, when we have all of the things that we want, it's not good for us spiritually. We boast. We don't feel our need for God. We feel that we're sufficient in ourselves. That's true. It's true of all of us. And our Lord Jesus said to his disciples one time, remember when he told the rich young ruler, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And the man went away sorrowful, and the disciples said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, then it must be impossible. But Jesus said, no. What is impossible with man is possible with God. God does save rich people. Not many. But he does save some. It's not wrong to be rich. wrong to desire to be rich. It's wrong to pray for riches. It's wrong to trust in riches. When Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, it's very obviously implied we are not to pray for our favorite food, for a feast of delicacies, for a large, beautifully adorned home, for the fanciest and most expensive designer clothes, for a job that will give us more and more and more income. Those things aren't wrong. But we are not to pray for them. We are not to long for them. We are not to devote our lives seeking them. Why not? Well, what is the first and great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But when you are zealously pursuing after riches, you reveal that you don't love the Lord first. That's what we reveal. And that's in us. That's in all of us. In Philippians 3, verse 19, the apostle speaks of the danger of serving the God of our belly. Do we ever serve the God of our belly? Do we have a belly that's constantly demanding that we fill it with all of the things that we love most? That's an idol. We're not to serve that idol. Or what Jesus says in Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and mammon. Do we have a mammon in our life? Is there an image in our living room or by by our checkbook in our house, a big image of mammon? Is that what we serve? Then we're not serving God. We are not to pray for riches. But since we all want to be rich, we do, don't we? We say, well, not really. Search deeper. To be rich means that you always have not just what you need, but you will always have an abundant, prosperous, pleasant life on earth. Don't we all want that? Of course we do. That's why we are to pray for contentment. That's what this petition means, among other things. Give us this day our daily bread means we are praying for contentment with what we have. We've pursued a path of life. We have some education, 
little education, much education. We have a, a job with a big income or a low income. We are self-employed or we are a, a worker. Whatever our course of life might be, we are called to be content. And since we can't be content by nature, we're called to pray for that. I have to pray for that. You have to pray for that. In that same chapter, 1 Timothy 6, Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can take nothing out. And so if we have food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And then finally, since we are not to pray for riches, we are to be thankful for what we have. Thankful. Whatever we have, whether much or little, we are to be thankful for it. Because it has come to us from our Father's good hand, who loves us, and who has given us just what we need. No more, no less. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he gives you just what you need? Then be thankful to him. When you have eaten and drunk, whether much or little, when you have a roof over your head, whether it's a big house or a little house, when you have nice clothing or not so nice, when you have a nice car or not so nice car, be thankful for what God has given to you. And always acknowledge him as the fountain of all good. Amen. Our gracious Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for instruction from thy word. We thank thee how thou dost show us what is most important in this life. We pray for grace to receive the scriptures that have been preached to us, that we might receive it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And we pray that we might not only be hearers, of that word, but also doers, as we seek to make the petition, give us this day our daily bread. Give us neither poverty nor riches, but feed us, O God, until the great day when thou dost take us 